0: Hello, I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by RAIN Worldview, the premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Find out how RAIN can help you stay ahead of global events at rainnetwork.com. This is Rain's Essential Geopolitics Podcast, your go-to source for quick and reliable geopolitical intelligence. I'm Emily Donahue. Welcome. A combination of high storage levels and warm weather is causing natural gas prices to decline consistently in Europe since the peak last summer. It leads many people to believe that Europe's energy crisis may not be as bad as many had predicted. Here with details is Matteo Ilardo, Reign's Europe analyst. Welcome, Matteo. Hi, Emily. What has changed since we last talked? Tell me about Europe's energy crunch now.
1: So, uh, well, as you said, prices are falling. Maybe we can begin with that. Uh, prices are now currently still about three times higher than the average compared to the the last five years, but have fallen about by 70% since the peaks we saw in uh, in August. And uh, this is happening despite Russia having actually escalated its energy war to Europe since we last spoke in August. So uh, as, we all, as we all know, for months Russia has sought to create uh, divisions in Europe and undermine support for Ukraine by increasing the economic and political costs of that support through the weaponization of, of its natural gas supplies it began doing so in april first by demanding payment for gas in rubles then uh, by gradually reducing flows through its main pipelines uh, to europe including the nord stream uh, line that connects russia to germany and um, as prices started to fall eventually uh, russia announced uh, unplanned maintenance on the on the pipeline and then shut it indefinitely in september uh, after which Prices did temporarily increase again, but only to, like, very fast go back on on falling again, at least uh, until, uh, when was it, the end of September explosions in the Baltic Sea have basically uh, removed the possibility to reopen the the Nord Stream pipeline anytime soon. Um, Prices again increased significantly because of that, but then dropped again. uh, Shortly after continuing dropping for the following weeks, showing how dynamics within um, Europe's energy market had changed. Uh, We now know that those explosions were mostly likely uh, sabotage. Uh, We don't know who did it, though we do have some suspects in mind, of course. Uh, What we do know for sure, though, is that flows won't increase anytime soon now. Europe now receives only about... uh, 9% 9% of its total consumption uh, from uh, Russia in terms of gas, down from the 40% before the war. And, uh, and still prices have been falling. Uh, this is thanks to, uh, of course, to Europe's various efforts to reduce reliance on Russian gas, and uh, helped by, by but mostly helped by oversupply now, for, for now at least, of LNG. Uh, and warmer than expected weather in October that uh, yeah very much delayed the heating season that has yet to begun around much of the continent. So long story short, uh, energy crisis in Europe did worsen in terms of supply since August, but also improved in terms of prices.
0: So, Matteo, uh, in the past we looked at Europe sort of scrambling to get to 80% capacity of its LNG storage. How prepared does Europe look now?
1: I'd say decently prepared um, (laughs) which is one of the reasons why prices are falling in the end Uh, europe countries uh, european countries sorry worked hard to boost storage levels indeed in summer uh, which was one of the main drivers behind uh, rising prices in in august and we are about now 95 percent full in the continent germany is about 99 percent full and this should ensure a, lev- a relatively uh, well supplied winter in europe uh, of course provided the, the, the non russian supplies remain stable they don't decrease further and winter is not too cold in in europe so having slowed down the purchase of of lng because storage is now full uh, prices are falling as a consequence electricity generators and manufacturers uh, so we're talking about both industries and, and power producers um, are also have also switched to alternative fuels um, we we see coal fire plants coming back online nuclear reactors too and then companies switching from burning gas to uh, burning oil uh, particularly diesel with rising flows coming from asia and the middle east so this old like uh, oil switching Is definitely helping. Uh, We saw also a whole, and this is very important, a whole new series of gas supplies, uh, new deals being signed by European countries with uh, alternative suppliers, so non-Russia gas now coming into Europe from uh, Azerbaijan, North Africa, Norway especially, and uh, it's now at kind of maximum capacity. And... um, yeah, and it's like, but, but still far below what Russia used to provide, which is, in the end, why LNG imports are playing such a big role. And um, Europe, in fact, had to expand the necessary import infrastructure to accommodate all the new LNG coming its way. Uh, Germany leads the way in this sense, in terms of additional regasification capacity. It has five new um, floating LNG terminals, two of which uh, should even come online by the end of 2022 the others by next spring and uh, and countries are also building new gas pipelines on the continent with uh, there's the new pipeline the, the baltic pipe connecting norway to poland already started operations in, in operations in october and will definitely help already this winter but others then will come in the next years and will help phasing out russian dependency on russian gas in the future and then we have renewables we, with EU countries accelerating a rollout and low carbon energy uh, in various different ways by, by setting up investment schemes, uh, easing and simplifying rules and tender procedures, uh, though these measures will uh, mostly start having a meaningful effects in months, if not years. So for now, uh, altogether the demand reduction, which is energy saving, both in the the form of power and gas, uh, remains the key strategy here to to go ahead and reduce reliance on on Russia before winter. Uh, From the supply side, we don't really have space anymore for for any short solution. Uh, We exhausted all possibilities to diversify for now. And uh, so it's all about reducing consumption. And uh, that's the main way to reduce the... um, the risk for gas shortages in in the winter. EU countries did agree on a on a target to voluntarily cut uh, gas, impu- gas consumption by 15%. This was done in July. Ever since governments have announced uh, a whole series of um, or announced or, or recommended measures to decrease consumption uh, through, for instance, changes in consumer behavior such as lowering heating in private and public buildings. But most decreases are coming from falling industrial consumption mostly from companies in those energy-intensive sectors such as steel, uh, metals, chemicals, fertilizer, etc., which uh, are all cutting consumption due to high energy costs. But this obviously has uh, a cost in itself, right? Uh, this is because industrial production um, is uh, is dropping in these sectors, which has immediate uh, but also potential long-term economic consequences. As uh, Europe is basically... Do, by doing so, by, by decoupling from Russian gas, what Europe is doing is that it's abandoning its industrial model based on, uh, on cheap and reliable energy supplies. Now, uh, this uh, does decrease the risk of emergency, uh, for emergency measures this winter, and I'm talking about gas rationing and blackouts over the next months, uh, but the scenario still is not impossible. You know, the balance between demand and supply is now super fragile. And uh, anything in, in the next few months is going to be even more fragile. So anything that can alter the balance, anything from a cold winter that increases demand to extreme weather conditions in, uh, in for instance, the North Sea or the, or the Atlantic, uh, could that could disrupt supply, could lead to a faster drawdown of gas supplies. And uh, in these scenarios, households and, and critical infrastructure would certainly be given uh, priority over industry to receive gas and and electricity, which means the economic impact for the manufacturing sector would be massive in Europe and and not just for energy-intensive industries. I'm talking about companies down the value chain too, which will have to source intermediate goods somewhere else or pay them higher prices if um, their suppliers are heavy gas consumers. So in other words, uh, a worst-case scenario Seems less likely now, but it's still possible, of course. And some sectors of the European economy will continue to shoulder most of the economic impact.
0: So, Matteo, what about next year and even the long term?
1: So, uh, well, next year, it is going... uh, It is not going to be any easier, I'm afraid. Europe's energy markets will uh, remain tight for at least the next couple of years until more supplies become available in 2024. Now, consider... That, um, as, as we said, Europe will probably uh, manage to quick through this coming winter, uh, if you allow me the term. Uh, but this mostly uh, likely will mean that we'll be able uh, to do so in Europe. I mean, by burning all the gas that we have in storage now, which means we'll have to start all over again next year with, uh, with trying and store as much as possible for, for next year, the one in 2023 24. Um, on a typical winter, uh, we end um, winter, the season, the heating season in Europe with about 20% of storage full at the end of uh, of an average winter, not too cold. Um, but uh, we usually do so while continuing to relying on on imports of Russian gas throughout winter, which won't really be available this time around. So we'll probably have a situation with near to zero storage level in March. And then we'll have to start building storage all over again. And we'll have to do so without receiving, the even if limited, the Russian gas that we received this year that helped increasing uh, storage. So if you do this also, uh, assuming that, you know, China's Chinese demand will be back, China this year hasn't really been buying all the gas that it usually needs uh, due to the... Um, due to lockdown related to Xi Jinping's zero-COVID policy that uh, have reduced uh, economic activity. And then we can expect higher competition from China as well. Uh, So long story short, replenishing stocks may actually be harder next year and um, supplies will remain limited, prices will remain high. And in other words, demand destruction across the continent is probably... Going to stay through at least two thousand and twenty four and will continue uh, gas supplies will continue to remain expensive for uh, um, for even beyond two thousand and twenty four if we assume that um, Europe decides not to restore the energy relationship it had with Russia before the war uh, once the the war ends or, or at least uh, simply ossifies, then the energy supplies to the continent will remain. Uh, more expensive. We'll still have in Europe enough supplies by looking at current infrastructure development, a long-term supply, LNG supply deals, but, and gas will remain relevant in the energy mix of the region for at least the, the rest of the decade. But these supplies will be more expensive, which means gas and electricity prices for European industries will be more expensive and European industry will, is going to be less competitive. This is going to be the case, particularly in energy intensive industries that we mentioned earlier. And in those countries that have uh, more utilization of gas in industries, so, but, but the g- impact of the economy will be um, for the overall continent, given how those countries are include also key economies, such as France, Germany, Italy, etc. So uh, higher operational costs for European manufacturers, vis-à-vis American and Asian counterparts and potentially for the long term. And um, some manufacturers will have to decide whether they want to maintain lower production, uh, operate at lower margin, shut down altogether, simply relocate where energy is cheaper. So as more industry groups decide to do so, I mean, to relocate, um, this could lead to what we could call a deindustrialization of the continent, at least to a certain extent. So... um, but but now I don't want to be excessively catastrophic here, though. Well, uh, delocalization is, is definitely a concrete prospect for um, energy-intensive industries. Um, it's not... And particularly for, for those industries where natural gas is both used for power and as a fit, fit stock, like chemicals and fertilizer, uh, not all manufacturing sectors will be hit to the, to the same extent. I mean, European manufacturers have been operating at a competitive disadvantage with the US for instance for for decades in the US uh, energy is usually two to three times cheaper than in Europe and and this has not led to the in- industrialization or to significant increase in market shares in America vis-a-vis Germany for instance so uh, definitely more headwinds for european industry moving forward but not necessarily a massive deindustrialization as many fears, of course, certainly for some factors, but not a complete deindustrialization. Plus, uh, if we look at current infrastructure projects for natural gas, such as terminals and pipelines, we can also see them as, as potentially dual use, meaning they could be repurposed to, uh, for hydrogen, to import, transport, store hydrogen. Um, so with a pickup, with a scale, uh, with a deployment of renewables at scale, um, it means that the the region will remain committed to natural gas for as long as you know long-term LNG supply deals uh, remain valid until they expire. If by then hydrogen technology has indeed become an economically economically viable alternative to natural gas uh, by the end of the 2020s, and I conclude here, um, high prices will have forced some European producers to. To relocate where, where prices are, are lower, um, but energy com uh, larger companies, sorry, with the financial resources to operate at a cost disadvantage, well, well, accelerating energy transition plans uh, will um, will indeed find themselves uh, operating again in Europe when operating in Europe becomes advantageous again, given the. Um, competitive advantage in the usage of renewable energy and this is even more the case if we'll have a carbon tariff in the eu by 2026 the so-called eu carbon border adjustment mechanism which has indeed the potential to be the most significant balancing force here against uh, european and de-industrialization so a lot of contradictory forces at place here and overall um, not a completely bleak picture as uh, Current situation seems to suggest.
0: Thank you for that analysis, Matteo. Thank you, Emily. Matteo Elardo is a Europe analyst for RAIN, the risk intelligence company. You can read Matteo's work in RAIN Worldview, our risk intelligence app for professionals, and in our consumer publication, which offers objective geopolitical analysis and intelligence covering the global landscape. Find out more about RAIN's industry-leading risk management, including RAIN Worldview, at RAINNETWORK.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue and thanks for listening.